0: Okay, it's good to see you tonight. How many of you enjoyed the Thanksgiving dinner last week? It's good. Thank you all for helping us out and for everybody who worked to get everything set up and torn down and provided food, all of that. We appreciate it very much. And we did have uh, some people in here that uh, we needed to minister to and get to talk to, and they needed to hear the gospel, and we're always very grateful for that. It's just a great opportunity to use these holidays for the glory of God. There's a lot of junk that goes on, I know, during this time of year, but the Bible calls us to redeem the time, so let's make sure that we do that. And tonight, since it's, um, as we look at our plow, acrostic, uh, cross stick, it's the worship night, and I have something on my heart I want to take a few minutes and share with you. And um, I uh, would ask for your prayers. Last week I was really struggling with uh, congestion and uh, vocally and all of that type of thing. I was able to be in the choir practice tonight and uh, go through all the rehearsal after preaching and teaching Sunday school this morning and uh, still have a little bit, have a little residual cough hanging on, but it's so much better and I appreciate that and would ask for your prayers and For anybody who is going to be performing next Sunday night, we want to pray for them and ask that they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they'll be bold and confident in their singing, and that it will be for the glory of God. And bring somebody, invite about five, maybe ten people even to come with you next Sunday night because a lot of you that are out there now are going to be up here in the choir and we want to have people to sing to. So please do that and pray with us about that. It'll be a... A wonderful, wonderful time. But sometimes, and I think I mentioned this in my prayer, sometimes even in our attempt to worship God, we stumble, don't we? Sometimes we get tripped up. And I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want us to think about some things that have to do with worship. Saul had been commanded by Samuel, actually by the Lord through Samuel, to go and to deal with the Amalekite problem. Now, the Amalekites, when the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt, the Amalekites were not very nice to them. And so God said, uh, whoever curses Abraham's children, the nation of Israel, will be cursed themselves. Remember what he said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And God meant it. And so he told Saul, the king of Israel, go and deal with the Amalekites, especially with the king, Agag, and I want you to destroy everyone and everything that is there. That's a civilization, that is a culture that is to be gone from this point forward. And Saul agrees, okay, kings back then loved to win wars and they loved to get territory, but... Uh, I can imagine that in Saul's mind it was we have to get rid of all of the plunder, all of the stuff that's going to be there. Usually we bring those spoils home and we enrich ourselves through all of that. And so uh, they go to war. And God gave them a tremendous victory through all of that. But Saul was disobedient in this. And you're familiar with the story, I know. You know your Bibles. And uh, as we read in chapter 15, beginning at verse 10, that's kind of the setup to get to verse 10. Okay? Now, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord, All night. Can we hit the pause button there? How long has it been since you've been grieved by a leader of your nation that you would actually pray for them all night? And maybe we don't see more happening in America because our prayers, if we ever do pray for our leaders and elected officials, we don't put much into it. Samuel was so grieved about this that he prayed all night long. Okay? Go back to hit the play button again. And uh, verse 12 is where we're picking up. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. It's an egomaniac, isn't he? And he has gone on around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Can you hear him? Verse 14. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul, parentheses, thinking as quickly as he could, right? And Saul said, They, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. We kind of mostly sort of almost all did it, right? Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Is that a nice way of saying just shut up? Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. Boy, while he's bragging and defending himself, he's admitting his sin, isn't he? And I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. See, now he's playing word games. Well, I kept the king, but I destroyed the Amalekites. The king is not officially an Amalekite. Yeah, he is but he's trying to say well the royalty is different than the commoners and I destroyed the commoners get that? so he's playing word games it's, it's sort of like remember when we had a president who was asked a question about a sexual relationship with an intern in the White House and he said well that depends on what the meaning of is is that's what Saul's doing it's a political thing well the, the, the king is spared but the Amalekites are gone see what he's doing and he just, you just can't get anything honest out of him. Can't get a straight answer. So let's pick up again in verse 21. But the people took of the plunder. You know, I'm only the king. I can't control anybody. The people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which would have been, which should have been, pardon me, utterly destroyed to sacrifice To the Lord your God in Gilgal. Why does he keep saying the Lord your God? That's kind of sad. And it's kind of lame too, isn't it? The Lord your God. That's supposed to butter Samuel up or make him feel good? Verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or actually do what the words of the Lord says than offering the fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. That's a strong statement, isn't it? So what happens when you reject the word of the Lord? Better be careful about that. Verse 24. Then Saul said (coughs) to Samuel, I have sinned. Remember Jimmy Swaggart saying that? Before he did his second round with prostitutes? I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Get you in trouble every time on it. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. In other words, can we get this over with? Just pardon me and let's go back to what we were doing before. No price. Nothing else that's going on here. Just just get that over with and let's go back. Verse 26, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now what struck me about all of this is that King Saul, in his sin against the Lord, in his disobedience, in his rebellion, and even in his cover-up, what does he use as an excuse? Well, part of the time, he says, well, you know, it wasn't me. It w- wasn't me. That's the oldest one in the book. Literally, it's the oldest one in the book, because when you go back to Genesis 3, that's pretty much what Adam said when he said, it wasn't me, it was the woman that you made for me. And so uh, Saul is saying, it wasn't me, I did it. I did everything I was supposed to do. It was it was a people, you know, those stubborn people you wanted to wipe out in the wilderness, those stubborn people you had so much trouble with. You remember you destroyed a whole generation of them before they came into the land. Got the same problem, God. If you can't handle them, I can't handle them either. How am I supposed to? I'm just a man. And then uh, you'll notice too that he also tried to cover everything up, cover his disobedience up with this real, religious, holy-sounding terms. Samuel shows up there in Gilgal, and Saul sees him. Blessed are you of the Lord! Doesn't that sound spiritual? That's what he wanted it to sound like. He wanted everybody around there to think, wow, Saul is filled with the Spirit again. There was another time... Previous to this, where the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied, and he was trying to manufacture this. You know, folks, whenever we try to manufacture an experience with God, to reproduce an experience with God, to make something happen, we think that it's like a recipe or a formula. If we add two cups of this and a quarter teaspoon of this and uh, some of these and we stir it all together and put it in the oven, voila, we've got it every single time. You can't do that in your walk with God. It's got to be fresh, it's got to be up-to-date. It's kind of like gathering the manna in the wilderness. They had to gather fresh manna every day. How long has it been since you've really gathered any fresh manna? Your spiritual life will rot, and it'll have worms in it, and it'll stink, and everybody but you will probably smell it and can tell that things just aren't quite right. And that's kind of what Saul was doing, just kind of trying to reproduce what he had done before that everybody talked about, but he, but he couldn't do it. And then he comes up with this other thing, okay? The other thing that was covering for his sin. We didn't really sin, we spared the best of the flock to sacrifice. This is about worship. Yeah, that's it. It's about worship. And you kind of wonder as he got on a roll here that when he said it, he thought, hey, that's a really good cover up. This whole thing. We spared the best because we want to worship the Lord. Okay? And that's when Samuel gives him that famous phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice. He didn't say uh, it exactly like that, did he? If you look down there, he said that obedience, he didn't say that he didn't want sacrifice, he just said that obedience is more valuable than sacrifice and sacrifice or worship without obedience is pretty meaningless. I wonder how many times people gather in Sunday school classes and they don't really intend to do anything with what their teacher teaches them. I wonder how many times people gather in this building and they come in here and they come in and it's for show. Yes, I'm coming here to worship, but they don't really intend to do anything. They're not at their best. They're not ready. They're not prepared. They're not spiritually right with God. They've been doing their own thing and living their own life. But when they come to church, they smile. They say the churchy things like Saul did and they act as though everything they're doing is right and everything that they do is for the glory of the Lord, the game that Saul was playing here. And we want to talk about some of the things that the Bible tells us out of this story that the Lord knows about all of us in spite of our worship. In other words, our worship rituals and our worship singing and our worship amens and all of that, they cover up nothing in front of the eyes of the Lord. And so the first thing we notice is that the Lord knows the state of the heart. Had a professor that said that uh, in the 1980s, when he was saying all of this, worship is state of the art. In the New Testament, worship was state of the heart. And that's what really matters. It's not how good the performance is, it's not how much we liked it or how it pleased us. It has to do with this did your heart change? Was your heart surrendered to the Lord? Because the Lord knows the state of your heart even before you do. That's why in Psalm 139, David prayed for the Lord to search his heart. David would miss some things. David would excuse some things. And some things were camouflaged in David's heart that he wouldn't even see or notice. And the Lord, being an all-knowing God, he knows back, he knows everything that we do even before we do it. He knows what sins you're going to commit tonight. He knows what sins you're going to commit tomorrow. He knows the next big major downturn you're going to have spiritually. He knows it before it even happens. In fact, he says here, he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. He knew it before Samuel did. He knew it even before Saul knew he was going to do it, the Lord sees the state of the heart. And that's why it's so important not to just think of worship as a time where we perform for God or we put on the right rituals or we do the right things so that we have good luck during the rest of the week. It is the time where we come and we humble our heart and bear our hearts before the Lord so that we are able to worship Him in spirit and in truth, not in hypocrisy, not in cover-up, not in game-playing, not in manipulation or anything like that at all. So that's the first thing. The Lord knows the state of the heart. Secondly, the Lord sees through our meaningless words. Were any of your words meaningless today? Did you say anything? Teachers, when you were teaching that you really didn't mean, but it was required of you, that it was the thing you were supposed to do, the thing that was expected of you to say, just because it was in the lesson book, or just because you knew your class expected you to say it, When you were asked a question in Sunday school today, did you say the church thing? Did you give, Sammy and I like to say, did you give a real answer or an awana answer in all of that? Because sometimes we know just enough of the truth to try to cover up what it is we really are thinking or saying. Was it truthful? Was it right? When somebody asked you a question, did you answer it honestly? Whenever you sang to the Lord this morning and some of the songs that we sang was that the honest expression of your heart whenever you said amen to something in a sermon was that the honest expression of your heart because the Lord knows all of our meaningless words then Samuel went to Saul and said and uh, went to Saul and Saul said to him and here he is backslidden disobedient not right with God, a liar, and you know what God thinks about lying. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Uh, Methinks you speak too soon, Saul. Is that the guilty conscience speaking? What what brought that up? Blessed are you of the Lord. I get that. Shalom, Boker Tov. Use any Hebrew phrase you want. But, but, but to throw in automatically after that, hey, Samuel, how's it going? By the way, I did everything I was supposed to do. It sounds fishy. Something doesn't smell right about all of this. And then when you combine the two things together, he lied because he said, I've done everything you commanded me. He knew he hadn't. And to be blessed of the Lord and to give the man of God a great blessing. Let's do something great for the preacher. Isn't that wonderful? And yet there he is full of sin and full of lies. And so Samuel just cuts to the chase. What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears? What do you think Saul's heart did when he heard that? Oh, you notice that? No, Samuel, that's just the wind coming through the trees. That's some other wild animal out there. It's, you know, what in the world? The bleating of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. And it basically meant Saul, I'm not believing or buying a word that you say. When you uh, come to church, Maybe in your own family, maybe you have somebody like this, maybe you have a situation like this. Do you have that one person that no matter what they say, even if it sounds right, it doesn't ring true whenever you hear it? That's a sad situation to be in. And what Saul is saying, uh, pardon me, Samuel is saying to Saul, I'm not buying a word of what you just said. I don't think you're right with God. I don't want your blessing. I don't need your blessing. I don't need your affirmation. I don't need your cover-up. And the very fact that Saul just kind of blurts it out, is kind of like a, a toddler with, you know, chocolate all over his face going, I didn't get into the cookie jar, I promise. I mean, he's caught, and he's caught, and he knows he's caught at this situation. And so I think about how many times the people of God gather Wherever they may gather, and they sing the right words in a song, but they're meaningless and they're empty words. They're like a bubble that your kids or grandkids play with you. Blow the bubble. Oh, that's a big one. And how long does it last? A few seconds at most. And then pop and it's gone. And so much of our praise, our prayers, our worship, our giving, our fellowship, all of that kind of stuff is just vanity. As Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all a soap bubble. And we wonder, where's the power? Where's the joy? Where is it that God's doing anything? And we look at that and we just go, pop, it was there and then it was gone. It was cool for a moment and then it was gone. And God is so much more interested in doing so much more in us and through us than just pop, and it's gone it's more than experience it's more than a feeling it's more than just a little bit of encouragement God wants to change our lives and when you meet with the God of the Bible it doesn't take long and your life can be changed permanently we don't know how long the encounter was in Acts chapter 9 when Saul of Tarsus is on his way to imprison and kill and persecute Christians And then he sees a bright light and he hears a voice from heaven and he's knocked off of his donkey and the whole encounter and the whole exchange is, who are you, Lord? Well, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. What would you have me do? Well, then I want you to go this place and I want you to wait for someone to come. And that was it. And yet the world was changed because of that one encounter because when a believer encounters the real God the true and the living God in sincerity of heart things can happen and they can happen fast and you and I can have a turning point that changes everything about us right here right now in this very moment It doesn't take a long, drawn-out session. It doesn't take a lot of counseling. It doesn't take a lot of things happening like that. Just an encounter with the living God. But fakery, meaningless words, are not going to get it done. Let the words of of my mouth, King David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. How's your heart tonight? And is it matching up with the thoughts that you have? Are the words of your heart and the, of your mouth and the meditation of your heart? Because Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good th- things. In other words, your mouth betrays your heart or it tries to cover up what's in the heart. And it rings hollow. And it is certainly untrue, like Saul. Thirdly, notice this, the Lord sees through excuses. There was a gospel group years ago, and they had that song that said, excuses, excuses, you'll hear them every day. Remember that? Now the devil, he'll supply them when from church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Now the verses, remember they went something like this. In the summer it's too hot, and in the winter it's too cold. And in the springtime when the weather's just right, you got someplace else to go. Well it's up to the mountains, or down to the beach, or to visit some old friend, or to sit home and kind of relax and hope some of the kinfolk will start dropping in. Well the Backache Sunday morning and a headache Sunday night. But by work time Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. Well, one of the children has a cold pneumonia, do you suppose? While the whole family had to stay home just to blow that poor kid's nose. And then it goes back into it. You remember that song? See, we're good at that. And we can think of excuses. There's a reason why I didn't do what I read in the Word of God. There's a reason why I didn't do what my heart was convicted to do. There's a reason why I didn't live up to what I know is right. For to him who knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. Yeah. And so it's that kind of thing that just kills us. And it kills our worship. We call it worship, but it's not. And the Lord sees through the excuses. In verse 15, and Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. It wasn't me, they did it. What could I do? For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest. We have utterly destroyed. We mostly did it, right? Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. See, he should have been destroyed too. And I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. No, you didn't. But the people took of the plunder of the sheep and oxen and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. In other words, he's telling us there he had knowledge it was wrong to him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not. Saul had knowledge to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So it's just nothing but excuses. What was I supposed to do? How was I supposed to handle that? And we act sometimes as though God has put us in a position to uh, try to destroy us. When he has prepared us, when he's equipped us, when he's armed us, and when he's actually given us his presence. When's the last time you knew you were supposed to witness and you didn't because you were afraid of Of people like Saul was. When is the last time you knew it was on your heart. But well you know the door never really opened up for all of that. Sometimes that happens. But a lot of times it just doesn't. Because we really didn't want it to. And we disobey the Lord. Well if I do this I might lose some friends. Or it might make everything awkward. And so we care more about Having a happy time and having peace in the situation with a person, a friendship or a family member or whatever than we do being right with God. Well, that tells us more than we ever wanted to know. I care more about things here on earth, temporal things and people than I do about the Lord. There is a problem with that. There's a problem with that. And when you think like that, that'll affect whether you come to church or not. That'll affect whether you give or not. That'll affect whether you minister to somebody or not. That'll affect whether you do anything with what's being taught or not. And on and on and on it goes. And then we wonder, gee, why isn't God moving? And why isn't He doing anything? Well, we may have our answer as we think about all of this kind of stuff, which brings us then to the fourth thing. The Lord sees through our hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a dark, dark thing, but the psalmist said that even the darkness is light to the Lord. In other words, the darkness of our heart and what we try to do in darkness and cloak in darkness, what we try to cover up, what we try to hide, the Lord knows and the Lord sees through all of the hypocrisy. Do you suppose that when Jesus told the Apostle Peter, you're going to deny me. And the Apostle Peter goes, oh, not me, they may. You know, they might, but I won't. I'll die with you. You suppose the Lord Jesus said, oh, well, good, at least I've got one ally. Or do you suppose he knew the truth about what Peter was going to do? Well, he knew the truth. Because he said to Peter, the devil has come and he wants you. And he wants to sift you like wheat. Well, that's terrifying. And then Jesus said the words, But I have prayed to you that your faith might not fail. Do you realize what you have in every temptation that you face? You say, well, I know how to handle certain things. And I know the principles of the word of God. I'm glad you do. But you've got something far superior to anything you can do. And that something is a someone, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember I said earlier, He knows what sin you're going to commit. He knows your next failure even before you do. But He could say the same thing to you that He said to the Apostle Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. Wonder sometimes when we look at people that we've known in the past, who seem to be faithful to God, seem to know Him and to love Him, and now they have no interest in Him. You know anybody like that? I can think of a few. I wonder if what we've talked about tonight might have been the sum total of their worship. It was a performance. It was an act. And like all performances and acts, it falls short of the glory of God, because it's actually sinful. It's repulsive to the Lord. And I wonder if at least some of those people are not genuinely saved. And the reason some come back and some get right and some don't, could it be because the Lord Jesus is praying for some and not for others? I'll remind you, Jesus prayed for Peter. There's no record of him praying for Judas. Judas Judas didn't belong to him. Judas was a devil, right? And I think about those type of things and just because somebody comes to church, just because somebody gives, just because somebody seems to have faithfulness in their life is not really the evidence that they are saved. Is their worship genuine? Is their heart right with God? Are they filled with excuses? And are they playing... The hypocrite. And that's something why we all are told in the Bible. That's why we're all told in the Bible, excuse me, that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. Can I ask you, Sunday night, church, Christian person, how long has it been since you've done that? How long has it been since you made your calling and election sure? Sometimes what we call blessed assurance is a whole lot more of just taking it for granted. I don't want you to take it for granted. I want you to know. I want you to be assured. Read the book of 1 John sometime and read it with the idea of not what information can I get out of this. Read it with this in mind. Am I a true child of God? And as you think about other people that seem to fall away and they don't seem to have any interest and they don't respond to correction, I would really ask you, to consider doubling down on your prayer for them because it could be that they are saved in rebellious against the Lord, of course. And he will chastise them if they are. But what if they're not? Oh, I'm certain. I saw and pray. Oh, I just know. No, no, stop. Stop. Because what you say about them doesn't matter. It's what the Lord has to say about them that matters. When they stood in front of the Lord and they said, Oh, Lord, we cast out demons. We we prophesied in your name. We did many wonderful and miraculous works, remember? And the Lord looked at them and said, Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Boy, those are chilling words. Chilling words. It's not so much, Do you know the Lord? Okay, come on in. The Lord's not a beggar. I never knew you. You look at the hypocrisy of Saul. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings? Notice it. Wasn't that he didn't delight in burnt offerings? Those were fine. That wasn't the problem. But notice he said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. You know, when you have people that just kind of say, well, I do all the right things. What could the Lord possibly have against me? Well, so did Saul. But it was all meaningless hypocrisy. Meaningless hypocrisy. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams and so tonight as we close could we spend a little bit of time praying before we leave and asking God that our worship might not be a Saul type worship a foolish type worship a cover up type worship but it might be genuine and honest and pure before the Lord because the Lord is abundant in mercy and He is ready to pardon your sin. He is enthusiastic about forgiving sin. If only we would confess it and then He'll give us grace to actually forsake that sin. And then we can have true, unhindered, unobstructed, worship that god will honor and that god will bless don't play the game don't play the game he sees and he knows humble yourself in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up and exalt you in due season the lord is seeking worshipers jesus said to the woman at the well not on this mountain or in jerusalem but those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. May God grant that we would be those worshipers and that His search for worshipers would end with each of us. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we conclude tonight by saying we are sorry. And we're sorry that so often we fall into the trap that Saul fell into And our worship seems to be null and void and meaningless and hypocritical and powerless because we don't have everything right. But as you, the one who has called us, the one who has saved us, and the one who knows all of our flaws, and you remember that we are dust, the one who knows the end from the beginning in our lives, our ups and our downs, our strengths, our weaknesses, our strong points, All of those things you know. But you also know, Lord, when our hearts are not right, when our minds are disengaged. You know when we're just going through the motion. You know when we're thinking about what we're going to do later. You know when we just take something, learn it, and say, oh, well, that was good, and then we close the book on it, never to apply it to our lives. And we're asking you today to forgive us for meaningless, empty, thoughtless, fraudulent we might say worship and we ask you lord not only to forgive us and to remove the sin but replace it with the glory of god that the holy spirit will cause to rise up within us so that we can't help but sing we can't help but learn and we can't help but grow and we're doing it all for the glory of the lord jesus christ and this we pray very humbly knowing it's undeserved And knowing it's only by your grace. But we believe that this prayer and our attitude in this pleases you. That's why we offer it to you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. And thank you for doing what only you could do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.